You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from James chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father, the creator of the heavenly lights, in whose character there is no change at all. He chose to give us birth by his true word, and here is the result. We are like the first crop from the harvest of everything he created. Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. This is because an angry person doesn't produce God's righteousness. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. friends, good morning again, and welcome back for week three of our Lenten sermon series entitled, Me, Myself, and Why. Me, Myself, and Why. If you're new to our church or relatively new to the practice of Lent, Lent is this season here in the life of our church where every year, the 40 days leading up to Easter, what we do is we spend some time in introspection. We spend some time asking ourselves questions. We spend some time doing the inner work of figuring out who we are and why is it we are the way that we are. The tool that we're using, as you can see, uh, in conjunction uh, with this season is that of the Enneagram. We're using the tool that uh, is sort of created this model for helping us understand our personality types and why we do the things we do, what are our motivations, what are our desires, what are our fears, And the whole goal of this entire sermon series is not to sort of convert you on the Enneagram, but it's to help you better understand who God created you to be or someone critical in your life. Hopefully what this does, this helps you love your neighbor a little bit better as you begin to understand a little bit more of their hardwiring, their processing, and who and how they show up in the world. And so if you're new to this uh, tool, never heard of this before, you can check out the online bulletin. There's links there to take the personality assessment and learn more about what it is. But today what we're going to do is we're going to keep the conversation going. And I shared last week that uh, the Enneagram says that there's uh, nine answers to that question. Nine answers to the question of why am I this way? Because there's nine core personality types. Now, it, again, we can't do a whole nine-week sermon series on all nine types. That would get very boring very fast. And so what we did was we decided we're going to do this based off of their groupings. We're going to do this based off of their triads. And trying to get lost in the vernacular or the vocabulary, feeling you've got to keep up with all that. Really, this is just a fancy way of saying that some of us out in the world, we lead with our heart. How many of you, you follow your heart? You're a heart person. This is, this is a characteristic of you in your life and your decision-making. How many of you are head people? Like this for you, job stuff, relationship stuff, you think about it first, you process it up here first. And then how many of you would say you're gut people? 
Do you follow your gut more often than not? Do you find sort of yourself going that direction? And so what we're going to do today is today, uh, last week we talked about the head triad. And so if that's you and you missed that, you can find that online. You can find that on YouTube or our podcast. And today we're going to move to the gut triad, the gut triad. Here's a quick overview of the gut triad. The different personality types that are lumped in the gut grouping are eights, nines, and ones. Raise your hand if you're an eight, a nine, or a one. Okay, don't worry. We're going to come back to those folks and explain it and what that means in just a moment. But again, what this means is that your primary processing center, the place from which you lead from, is your gut. Now, I'm not a gut person, and so it took me a minute this week to kind of like actually do some digging and say, what actually is a gut? What is a gut? Like, how are these actually people navigating the world? And what you'll find is if you actually do some research is that there's actually not only a psychological component, but a biological one. For example, did you know that one of the biggest nervous systems, other than the central one, in your body is what's called the enteric nervous system? The enteric nervous system. It's located in your gut, and it is known by those in psychological communities as what's called the second brain. And the reason for which is because this nervous system, yes, it's not only responsible for your digestive system, but it is also responsible for uh, sometimes whenever you feel like butterflies or you feel something uh, uneasy in your stomach when you have to make a decision or choose between this path or that path, that is your enteric nervous system, your second brain speaking to you and telling you to do this and not that. And so to test this, to test this uh, as to how gut people operate in the world, we're going to play a little game to kick off uh, our time together this morning. This game is two truths and a lie, pastor edition, two truths and a lie. So I'm going to put three statements up on this screen, and you have to follow your gut. Okay, so tap into your intestines. If you get to the colon, you've gone too far. Come back up a little bit. Okay, and I want you to tap into your gut. What is your gut telling you is true, and what is a lie? Here we go. Number one, Kyle used to dye his hair white. Number two, Kyle got both of his ears pierced. And number three, Kyle's first concert was Blink-182. Okay? Tap into your gut. What is your gut telling you? What is your gut telling you? All right, we're trying to find the lie. All right, how many of you thought number one was the lie? Okay. How many of you thought number two was the lie? And how many of you thought number three was the lie? Congratulations, those of you who picked number three, that was the lie! Which now probably leads to a whole lot more questions about who the heck your pastor is uh, when you look at the first two. My ears are still, in fact, uh, pierced. In fact, when my daughter does a glam over, uh, she can still put her little flower earrings in here. And so just imagine that uh, collectively together. And uh, while my reputation and overall sense of respect is dissipating, we'll keep moving on. uh, Because the first concert I went to actually was a worship concert. Thank you very much. Like any good Christian pastor boy, I was there giving my life to the Lord, okay? So, hallelujah. But this is, so it just goes to show that, like, your gut, it might be imperfect, but it also works for some of us a lot of the time. It's those of us who we make decisions based off of our, our senses, our nerves, uh, how we hear, feel, smell, and, and just physically encounter and engage the world the messaging center of our nerves that are transferring messages from our brain to our body and our body back up to our brain 
those are the first place you go when you're trying to make a decision or decide between what is good and what is not good or what is the path you want to take versus the path you don't want to take, okay? Think of it this way, uh, Spider-Man, he's got the spidey sense. Those of you who have a, a gut, uh, you lead from your gut, you lead from that place. You feel like your senses tell you what you ought to do versus what you ought to not to do. Now, one more thing as we're talking about the overview of the gut is their core emotion, core emotion. So what this means is, if you belong to the gut triad, think of it this way, your default emotion, the thing that you feel more than anything else is anger. It's anger. Why? Well, this is actually where our scripture passage for today is going to be very, very helpful. So let's dig in. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to go ahead and follow along, or if you're watching this online, you want to hit pause real quick and uh, turn back to our scripture for today that you just heard read. Uh, today we're going to be camped out in James chapter 1. James is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, if you're new to uh, if you're new or recovering a relationship with the Bible, James is always a really good place to start because it's very practical, it's very straightforward, very tangible in its advice on how you and I ought to live. And I love how he starts. I love how he starts. James writes this. He reminds us in verses 16 through 17, he says, Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. And this is really important to talk about and to highlight whenever we talk about personality types because some of you, you're here today and you've been told uh, that there's something wrong with who you are, that there's something wrong with your personality, that people don't like you for you. And this is a really good reminder that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And what I love about the Enneagram is there's no, like, good types versus bad types. Every type has a place in the kingdom of God. Every type of person is beloved by God. Amen? Amen. So let's keep moving. Because then what he does is he says, yes, you're a gift. We love you. God loves you. And, and... Uh, there's also uh, every single one of us who is a gift is also a liability. Every single one of our personality types, our hard wirings, we show up in the world, we're a value add in some situations, and sometimes we're a liability. And he talks about uh, the guts liability here in James chapter 1, verses 19. That's supposed to say 19 through 20, not 19 through 120. Um, I hope you didn't have plans for uh, the rest of the month of March because we're going to be here uh, unpacking verse by verse, syllable by syllable. Here we go. He says, know this. But know this, know this, you are a gift. Gut people, you are a gift, you are a gift. But know this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry because an angry person does not produce God's righteousness. What he's doing here is he's warning those of us who follow our gut, those of us for whom the gut is the place where we make decisions and show up in the world. You know this about yourself, that gut people can often be reactionary people, right? Reactionary people. And the reason for which is because if you're a gut person, if you go off of your senses, that means that you automatically intuit and perceive things that other people don't. You feel things and know things intuitively, almost naturally, that other people don't. And so what happens is you begin to go, how in the world do they not see what I see or hear what I hear or understand what I understand? And so what happens is you get really angry as a result of other people's inability to be where you are. This is, by the way, me on every single flight. 
every single flight. You ready? Okay. It's embarrassing that I even have to walk through this demonstration, but apparently we do. Apparently we do. Friends, this diagram is a demonstration of how one should exit an airplane, okay? When the airplane lands, we should do row by row, people by people. The people in the first go first, second, second, third, third. This is how not to exit an airplane. And every time you get on an airplane, what happens? People go, yes, first person to stand up in the aisle. And they just stand there and clog up the whole situation. And the entire time, I judge them harshly. In my mind, what I do is I default to shoulding, shoulding. I should all over them. Yes, uh, this joke's going to go sideways in about two minutes. But I should them because I go, they should know that if you clog up the aisle, you're actually slowing down the process. We're actually not able to get off as fast. Literally, I fly, flew home from St. Louis, and I was sitting in my aisle waiting to get out, and I was doing like the passive aggressive, like, <clears throat> like trying to climb out. Four, four people made eye contact with me, kept walking. They're just like, yep. That's your fault. Yep, that's your fault. Yep, that's your fault. This guy was like 19 rows behind me. He got off before I did. We all do this, though. We all do this, especially gut people. We like to should. We show up and we go, they should know this. The world should operate this way. And every single one of the types, eights, nines, and ones, have a very different yet similar should that they perform that they hear in their minds every single day. Let's break it down one by one, right? So let's go to type eights, type eights. So type eights, the particular form of shooting that they do in the world, again, this joke could go sideways 17 different directions. Some people should in all kinds of different ways. Some people like to read while they should. Some people like to should over here, some people over there. And so for type eights, the challenger, how they should in the world, based off the fact that their core desire is integrity, so these are people who show up and they are concerned with matters of justice, matters of honesty, matters of making sure you not just talk the talk, you walk the walk. And the reason for which is because their core fear is hypocrisy. They don't want to live in a world where it's all superficial, where it's unjust and it's unequal and it's unfair. And so the should that rehearses, that plays in their mind all the time looks like this. It says, man, the world should have more honesty and integrity. Gosh, the world should be more fair. They've got this radar, radar, that almost instinctively they can detect when injustice and unequal treatment is happening in the world. So again, don't get too hung up. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you in certain situations with certain people. Or maybe this is someone you know and love, right? And one of the things I want to challenge and push you to consider is that, again, this is a gift. This is a gift, if you don't have anybody thinking this way, if you have nobody in this world for whom that is the tape that plays in their brain, you know what we end up with? We end up with a very hypocritical, surface-level, unjust, unfair world. That's what we end up with. No one's even asking or cares if we're living in an honest world, doing what you say you're going to do. One of my colleagues does this really, really well. Uh, one of my colleagues is an eight, uh, and he pastors Fiesta Cristiana, one of our uh, uh, sister churches here in the area. Uh, this is Pastor Jose Luis on the far left. He's an eight, and he pushes us. He challenges us. He's always been the person in my life who challenges me to consider how I show up in the world and what type of leadership I perform. And he said this one time, I'll never forget it. We were in a group setting, and he said, you better make sure 
that every time you get up to preach, the gospel that you preach is good news for everybody. And I've never forgotten that. In fact, I think about that statement every single week when I get up to preach. That if it's going to count as gospel, if it's going to count as Jesus' good news, it's got to be good news to everybody. Not just people who look like me, not just people who think like me, not just people who live where I live or speak how I speak or vote how I vote. If it's truly good news, it has to be good news to all of God's children. Because if it's not, it might be a gospel, but it is not the gospel of Jesus. Amen? And so we need eights. We need eights. We need challengers, people who push back on authority, push back and hold us accountable in order to make sure we truly create with Jesus a justice-oriented world. But if you are someone uh, for whom that comes very naturally to you, you love to push back, you love to challenge, you love to hold people accountable, the other word uh, for us today is to also be careful. To also be careful because that part of your personality is also, in some instances, a liability. And where it's a liability is if you are someone who is ultimately always concerned with honesty and integrity and justice, what can happen is if you're not careful, what happens is all, your eyes can only gravitate towards all the examples where that's not happening. And pretty soon that's all you see. All you see is the messed up, unjust, like injustice, the unequal treatment. It's all unfair. And what happens is you become cynical. You become untrusting. You become pessimistic and despairing about the entire world. During COVID, I got a really hard email. I got a really hard email from someone who ultimately decided not just to leave uh, our church, but to leave the church. And I want to read an excerpt of what he said, uh, just because I think it's really helpful for us. It's really helpful for us because um, it kind of speaks to uh, this, for, this, where it can be dangerous. The word was, so... Um, these last couple of years have been really, really hard. I've been thinking a lot about my relationship with the church, and quite frankly, the biggest thing that I'm feeling right now is anger. Anger towards God, yes, but mainly at the capital C church, because it seems like, not necessarily at the peak, but writ large, the capital C church is known for its negligence towards the pain and suffering of this world. And everywhere I look, all I see is examples of people using church as a tool to do terrible things to other people. And so as a result of that, I now find myself extremely cynical of church, and I cannot be a part of it any longer. I received permission uh, to share that uh, as a, just a way of a word of challenge to those who stayed. I'll never forget when I first read it, my first thought was, dang, like, me too. Like, I've seen that too. I've felt that too. But quite frankly, that's exactly why I'm here. Because I refuse to allow Jesus to go down with all the ways in which the good news has been manipulated and co-opted into things that don't look anything like him. So what I wanted to say back, and I did in a polite pastoral way, was, it! like, I need your help. If you're bothered by the injustice, you're bothered by where it's all gone wrong, okay, help me fix it. 
And so, friends, if we're not careful, one of the things that can happen in this world, I think all of us in the last couple of years, I don't care if you're this personality type or not, we've all grown collectively increasingly a little bit more cynical. Just be careful because it can completely erode any hope you have in anything or anyone altogether. And so what James 1 looks like for us, what James 1 looks like for us is it looks like if you're going to be someone who practices what James talks about, being slow to speak, slow to get angry, it looks like this. It means if you're an eight, if you're a challenger, someone who pushes back, continue to do so, continue to do so, but please be gracious while you do it. Let's be people who practice what we might call gracious accountability. Let's be people who, as the New Testament says, speak the truth in I thought it was passive-aggressive uh, manipulation and hatred. What are, you, what are you talking about? Speak the truth in love. Because if you don't, if you speak the truth in hatred, you can totally do that, and you'll feel so much better when you leave. But what happens is you will have created someone in your opposition who now is even more hardened to your opinion and to your view. You have now inadvertently made the situation worse. So yes, push back. Yes, hold people accountable. But let's speak the truth in love and in grace. Let's keep moving. Let's move to, from eights to nines. Nines are sweet, sweet, lovely little nines. So uh, again, don't get hung up on the vernacular and memorizing all this. The peacemaker are just the little Miss Americas out there, okay? All you little Miss Americas, just peace. Peace and harmony. That's what we're after here. That's what I bless the world with. And it's because, again, their core desire is harmony. When they show up in the world, they want harmony. They want unity. They want oneness. They want us to get along. And it's because their deep, deep fear is divisiveness. It's disunity. It's segregation. It's living in a world where we become violent and hateful towards each other because of our differences. And so the should that plays in their mind all the time sounds like this. The world should have more unity. The world should have more harmony. Gosh, like we should be able to get along. Have you ever thought that the last couple of years, literally since ever, ever since 2016? You've thought this, like, man, we should be able to get along. They've got this radar. Nines instinctively have this radar for conflict. They can detect when it's about to happen, and they jump right in and try to sort of assuage the situation and get everybody back on the same page, okay? Anybody related uh, to a nine? Or again, don't, I don't know if they're nine, but someone who loves peace, loves to make things better. This is my brother. This is my brother. Here's a picture of Austin, by the way. And for the record, um, he, I'm, we're, he's not taller than me, okay? I hadn't have shoes on. He, I think he's wearing high heels in this picture, and so I don't know what's happening in this picture. It's an optical illusion situation. He's also better looking and all the other things. I love my brother. But Austin is a nine. Austin is a nine. He is a peacemaker. And you never saw this more tangibly than on the basketball court. Because when me and Austin played basketball, we were opposing forces on the court. Austin is running around having a therapy session with anyone and everyone who got injured or felt offended through the entire experience. Are you okay? That looked like it hurt. I saw you got bumped on your elbow. Are you okay? And I'm over there fouling, causing the injuries, and I'm desperately trying to win every single minute I'm on the court. Austin is the person who is constantly like, okay, so like, did everyone get a point? Did everyone get a point? Like, I don't want a ball hog or anything like that. Oh, Steve, you didn't get a point. Here's the ball. And I don't care. I'll keep the ball the whole daggum game. If I hit a hot streak, baby, we're here to win. We're here to win. And so every time we show up, Austin is someone who in the world, maybe you are this, maybe you know someone like this, who's constantly trying to pay attention to what forces are there at work that might be tearing us apart? And how do I hold it together? we need you. We really do. Quite frankly, I would argue in the history of America, we've never needed you more. 
Amen? Now, that being said, one of the things that you have to realize about yourself, or you have to realize about those for whom this is their natural tendency, is that also possesses a liability, though, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Some of you are like, how could that person have any liability? They just seem like those sweet little people who just want to hug all the time. Even to non-huggers, they just walk up and, come here! Um, that is actually, that is one of the liabilities of them. But secondly, the more important one is if you are someone for whom peace is central to your life, harmony, unity, that is central to your life, one of the things that you're going to need to pay really close attention to and be really, really careful of is that your need for peace doesn't cause you to force peace upon people who aren't ready for it yet. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes peacemakers are not actually peacemakers, they're peacekeepers. They see conflict and they force people to stay together, they force people to stay along, and they actually haven't worked out their conflict, have they? Raise your hand if you're a parent in this room. Every single one of us are guilty of this when we say to one sibling who is fighting with another, just go freaking say sorry. For what? I don't know. Just I'm tired of listening to it. Go make up. Hug him. Squeeze him until love's just oozing out of your pores towards one another. Say you're sorry. We force people to make up. We force people to become one. And they actually haven't done the work of reconciling with one another. Amen? If you look around at our world, this is why we're not farther along on political divisiveness or racial divisiveness. It's because people who look like me most of the time are unwilling to do the hard work of reconciliation. There's a lot of cheap calls out there for, let's just be one, let's be unified, let's be together. And no one's doing the actual work of understanding, of empathy, making amends. And so if you are someone for whom peace is the innate desire of your heart and your being, and you show up in the world, what James 1 looks like for you, what James's advice to you would be is this, to be someone who, yes, 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 be a force for reconciliation. Yes, be a force for holding us together, especially these forces that are tearing us apart. But make sure you do it comprehensively. Make sure you do it thoroughly. What I love so much about the Gospels is Jesus, it says that Jesus reconciles all things to himself. It doesn't say Jesus forced people to get along who are bickering. He reconciles all things to himself. And the reason for which is because that's the harder option. That's the one where the real work begins. You want to be someone who practices peace, make sure you practice thorough, holistic, comprehensive peace. And the last one is this. So let's round out the triad. And we got one more, the ones. One more, we got the ones. Raise your hand if you're a one. You know one, feel like you might be a one. The ones are the reformers, okay? So their core desire in life is order, structure, organization. They hate chaos and uh, disorganization. And when things are inaccurate and ineffective, they hate all of that. And so for them, there should, the should tape, the should uh, soundtrack that plays in their mind sounds like this. The world should be more organized and accurate. The world should be more structured. The world should be more thorough whenever we go and try to create something or build something. We should do it right. So again, you see very quickly that these are an immense gift to the world. 
our world would be a hot mess if we had no ones running around out there holding things together and putting things, putting labels and using like envelopes or uh, the binders with like the little organizational tabs on them. Like we love them, they're annoying, but like we love them so much because they're those people who like when they got married, they're like, here's our itinerary for the entire week, okay? So be here at every single time. We need them, we need them, right? Anybody work with a one? Work with a one, your boss is a one, your coworkers are one? I work with a one. And it is none other than your worship leader, Kyle Miller, okay? Kyle Miller. Kyle Miller, our worship leader, who you will see in a couple of moments, is a big old one. And one of the things that I've begun to realize about working with him is that he's a huge gift to me. He's a huge gift to me because I'm not a one. I care a lot about organization and accuracy, but if I have to choose, I, I need to put it this way, I want to get it done. He wants to get it right. Okay, so you can see how those two forces clash sometimes, but he's also an incredible gift because he's saved us so many times because he said, hey, I understand we want to get this project done. I do too, but let's make sure we do it in this way, in this way. Without ones, we might do harm. Without ones, we might create things that are just not actually really effective. Without ones, we're going to create things that look bad. Case in point, I literally took this picture on the way to church this morning. Here's a picture of sleep number. (laughs) Anybody see the problem with this picture? The ones immediately saw it. The ones immediately, they feel nauseous inside their system. Why? Because here's the logo. Here's how it's supposed to look. See that? You know who did this? Someone like me. Someone who was like, oh, yeah, new sign. That's not a guy. Okay, I'm going to go get it done, right? And then they threw this up there, and now every single one who walks past it ruins the rest of their day. They go, well, no hope for humanity. No hope for humanity. Just let me like in. Some of you are watching. They're looking at this. You're like, like, where is the sleep number? Like, could you send me their address and contact information? I feel like I need to write to their CEO. Without ones, the world looks a little bit like this. You got to be careful, too. You, for whom this is your innate desire, this is how you show up in the world, this thing that's most important to you, you got to be careful, too. Because if you're not careful, your desire for correctness, for order, for structure, can lead you down one of two paths. It can either lead you down a self-righteous path. You know people like this? People who, there's only two choices. It's their way or the wrong way. You know people like this before? These are the people that were actually responsible for me leaving slash getting kicked out of the evangelical uh, fundamentalist crowd to begin with. That's where I fell in love with Jesus. But then over and over and over again, the answers to some of these most really complex, challenging questions was either this or this. No room for gray. It was this or it was this. And so pretty quickly, when I started showing up having questions about God, who didn't seem to always fall into just one of two boxes, or other people for that matter, I got put into one of the boxes of, oh, this must mean you're a false believer. And I was kicked out. If you're not careful, you can show up in the world, you can only see two options in a world that's just a lot more complex and nuanced than that. Or you may not become self-righteous. The other path equally as dangerous, equally as destructive, is you just become disengaged altogether. Those of you who battle perfectionism, you ever had that voice show up? Well, if I can't do it perfectly, why do it at all? 
I can't do my workout routine perfectly, why do it at all? If I can't do my faith perfectly, why do it at all? If I can't be a perfect spouse, why do it at all? And so what you become is the most disengaged, detached person in the world. Failing to understand that, friends, if you spend your life waiting on the perfect marriage, the perfect job, the perfect church, you will go to your grave still waiting. And it'll never come. You see, for ones, one of the things that those of you who love order, you love organization, you love structure, what James 1 looks like for you is, yes, yes, push for progress. Yes, push for perfecting, making better the world and all the things that you're engaged in in the world. But just recognize really, really quickly, it's going to be an imperfect process. That the best we can do is imperfect progress in our marriage, in our faith, in our parenting, in our job. It's going to be an imperfect, stumbling and fumbling journey until we reach the doors, we reach the arms of the only one who is truly good and truly perfect. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.com dot org.